Welcome in to the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, I'm Rick Burgess, in case uh, this is your first time to be with us, uh, co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show and director of themanchurch.com. Uh, thank you for being with us uh, for this edition of the Wednesday Bible Study. This started out as just a men's Bible study. It has kind of evolved a little bit. It still is at the heart, uh, but when we started doing some of the expository teaching just out of books of the Bible. Obviously, this is important for anyone that's not just designed specifically for, for men or women. Uh, it is for the church and for those of you that may be seeking to, to know more. Uh, so I thank you for being here. If you're joining us for the first time, I will tell you that we are in the, uh, the fifth session of Second Peter. Uh, and uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to pretty much wrap up. Uh, we won't completely finish today. We'll, we'll finish it next week and then move into our next uh, a topic uh, for Wednesday Bible study. So you're catching this a little bit late. If you want to go back and catch any of this study or any prior studies, go to BurgessMinistries.com. If you click on listen, you'll see something there that says Wednesday Bible study or men's Bible study. It's also can be found at themanchurch.com. Uh, you can also find it there. Uh, and at rickandbubba.com if you want to watch the videos and you've got our YouTube channel, if you hit the playlist, uh, they're in order from, from the, the most recent uh, Bible study all the way back uh, to some a few years ago. So those are some, way, some ways to catch up on maybe Bible studies that you have missed. Also want to make you aware at themanchurch.com, if you're looking for Christmas ideas, man, we got some cool stuff there. You can go to our store. Uh, you can get, you can get uh, The Man Church apparel, uh, but you can also get some of our resources for individual men. Uh, these are great gift ideas, and we have a special right now. We're going to complete the How to Be a Man trilogy uh, these are 40-day devotionals for men. We have the adult version and the youth version. Uh, and we're going to complete the trilogy uh, by doing a 40-day devotional on discipleship. How to be a man. What does it look like to be a disciple? What does this word discipleship mean? And we'll spend 40 days on that. And we have multiple authors. I've, I've written part of it. Andy Blanks has written part of it. Rich Wingo uh, has written part of it. And, and another uh, more of our team of writers I think you're going to love this, and here's the special for Christmas. If you'll go ahead and pre-order it now, we'll start shipping those in January, you can print out a card that you'll give to the man on your Christmas list. He knows he's got this coming, and when it comes to him, I will have autographed it to him as well. So if that's something you'd be interested in, uh, you can get any of the How to Be a Man 40-Day Devotionals, but this is the latest one, and it will start shipping in January, and it focuses on discipleship, and it's a great gift idea along with the other great gift ideas that you can find at themanchurch.com. Coming up in 2021, we'll be going out. Uh, there'll be all sorts of man church services. We hit 101 churches now doing the 40-day uh, uh, curriculum from themanchurch.com. Our first 40-day curriculum is called The Pursuit, meaning the pursuit of Christ-centered masculinity. Uh, 101 churches are now using that in some way, shape, or form. And with that comes some of the gatherings, and I'll be speaking a lot of those in in 2021, but we also have two conferences coming up in 2021. Uh, one of them is a Man Church One Day Conference in Charleston, Missouri. That's on January the 9th. Uh, Rich Wingo and Andy Blanks will join me for that. And then the other is the Pursuit uh, Men's Conference in Dothan, Alabama, February 19th and 20th. Steve Farrar will join us. He'll do two sessions. Rich Wingo will be there as well, along with Brody Croyle and Michael Adler and our very own Chris Adler. Uh, we'll be there with the praise team providing the music, and even the real Greg Burgess uh, from uh, the Rick and Bubba Show will be there as well, February 19th and 20th. Uh, the big thing about that conference coming up in Dothan, that'll also be the day that we release our next 40-day curriculum called Real Men. Uh, and in that 40-day curriculum, we'll, we'll take eight men of the Bible, and we'll spend 40 weeks uh, on those eight men, uh, and we'll be releasing that coming up the weekend of February 19th and 20th. Uh, in 2021 for churches that are completing the pursuit curriculum and want to go into the next one. Uh, we always want to make available a never-ending uh, cycle of reaching and discipling men uh, but through high challenge and then high equipping. And we'll always continue to provide those resources so they're available for you at themanchurch.com. All right, so let's, uh, let's open up in a word of prayer and let's jump right in uh, to Second Peter. We'll be in chapter 3 starting with verse 1. Uh, Lord, thank you for today. And we do have a lot to be thankful for. Uh, we have a tremendous amount to be thankful for. On our worst day, Lord, uh, we look to the cross and we see the redemption that you offer to all who repent and submit to your authority. And you are willing to forgive anyone who repents of their sin 
and you have paid that price, one that we could not pay. You are the ultimate sacrifice, and your grace and mercy is worthy of praise and worship. And then what we're going to talk about today, uh, another thing to be thankful about is, is our future. Uh, I know the future seems so uncertain to so many people right now, but not if they know your word. When we look to your word, we see that the day of the Lord is coming, and that is something that we can celebrate and be thankful for on the worst day here on this fallen creation. And we thank you, Lord, today as we unpack what at times today can be sometimes some, some parts that are difficult to understand, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to understand it and help me to teach it in a way that comes through the filter of the Holy Spirit and is pleasing to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so take your Bible uh, or something with your Bible on. Let's go to Second Peter. Uh, we're in chapter 3. And uh, Peter, first of all, tells us uh, right out of the gate, on exactly what he is doing and why he has written this, this second letter. It also tells us that uh, the first letter uh, was his first letter because now he's saying that you are accurately calling me calling this my second letter because in, in verse 1, I'm going to tell you that this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. Uh, and he says, in both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. So here, here's what we have to understand. Second Peter, uh, here's Peter again saying, I, I want you to know exactly what I'm doing. And you're going to see that the first 13 verses of, of chapter 3 is he says, I want you to remember what I'm teaching you. Some of this is repetitive. Some of this Paul has been teaching you. I'm coming alongside Paul. I'm reminding you of the things that you should know. But I want to talk a little bit about these scoffers that uh, talking to you and me, even today, they were, they, it was happening then. We have scoffers today. That you're going to have, you're going to run into a bunch of scoffers out there, and the main thing they're going to be, you know, uh, negative about or scoffing at the idea. And you know, Scripture talks a lot. If you go into the Proverbs, uh, you'll see that um, uh, there, there's there's fewer things that are worse than being a scoffer. Uh, you know, it talks about you know that these are the kind of people that you try to hold them accountable. All they do is make fun of it. Uh, they And what they were really scoffing about uh, during this time when Peter is writing this, and some of this continues and has continued uh, throughout the, the world's history, and their insistent denial that Jesus is really going to come back. That, that, that's the thing that they started making fun of even in the time that Peter is writing this letter. Hey, where's your Jesus? He hasn't come back. What's he waiting on? And, and we know that that is something that uh, has continued and is alive and well today. And Peter says, I want to kind of prepare you for that. And if you see him, he's talking about this uh, in chapter 2. He said, I mean, in verse 2 of chapter 3, that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. So don't forget what the prophet said about the day of the Lord, which is what we're going to talk about. Don't forget what Jesus taught you, and don't forget what the apostles, which would include Peter, what we've taught you about what the Lord said in case you weren't there to hear it. So, so, so don't forget those things. So he gives the purpose of the letter to stir the disciples of Christ to be grounded in solid teaching and able to discern heresy. He said, this is the purpose that I'm writing you, beloved. And both of them, he said, both of my letters, I'm stirring up in you a sincere mind way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing that, first of all, the scoffers, this is now in, in verse 3, will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. So he's saying, I want you to be able to discern heresy. He's been saying that through both these letters, by the way. And we need that. I'm telling you, one of the biggest problems that the church faces today is it is filled, and sadly, the majority filled, and I used to be this guy, so this is on me too. I'm not going to be that guy anymore, but I was that guy. It's one thing to say you were that guy. It's another thing to remain that guy or that woman. And, uh, and that is we must know the Word of God. We must know, we must know, we must know so that we're able to discern heresy uh, apostasy and false teaching, and when we have a scoffer, to know whether the scoffer is right or not. Uh, I, I hate to abuse this, but you can't defend the Word of God if you have no idea what it says. Uh, and you can't tell when someone's telling you something wrong, and that's going on quite a bit. 
as we talked about in the first and second letter, especially the second letter, because it mainly focuses on the apostasy rising up from within the church, not the persecution outside the church. So he wants us to be grounded in the Word of God, and then in verse 3 and 4, he warns of the scoffers. The, uh, it's also another word you use that is mockers, people who mock, knowing that they will come. Um, and, and, you know, you talk about, well, this was back during Peter's time. Uh, yeah. Look around. Do you remember uh, I was, uh, I guess, a junior? Was I a senior? According to when it was, I was a junior or senior in high school. In the fall of 1982, I was a senior. In the spring of 1982, I was a junior. Uh, and then I graduated in the spring of 1983 from high school. And in 1982, uh, there was a magazine uh, called uh, Atlantic Monthly. I don't even know. Does anybody know if Atlantic Monthly is still around? Uh, it was a magazine, and their title in 1982 was called Waiting for the End, and the entire article was making fun of the fact that Jesus hasn't come back. That's 1982. Uh, and, of course, we know that has continued. I remember... Uh, uh, listening to a comedian, Sam Kennison, uh, sadly, when I was not a follower of Jesus. And uh, he had come from a, a family of a, of a pastor, and he himself had even dabbled with being a pastor. And then he turned away from the faith uh, and became a vile comedian. And one of the things he would do in his comedy act is that he would, he would say, uh, so you're still waiting for Jesus to return. And then he would laugh and scream as loud as he could. I don't know how to tell you this, but it's been 2,000 years. And he would scream, mocking the fact that Jesus had not returned. So this is a theme that started in the days of Peter. Uh, where is he? Why hasn't he come back for y'all? And it continues to this day. And Peter says, this is something that you should expect. Uh, and, uh, and then in look at look in 5, 6, verses 5 and 6. For they deliberately, um, I'm sorry, uh, 4. Let's do 4 first. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Which is what they say. We get this all the time, right? This article I told you about, this comedian I told you about, these things still continue today. And here's Peter saying, well, I'll tell you what they're going to say. They're going to ask, ask you, where, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Uh, and what is he talking about here? He says um, in, in, in verses 5 and 6, he said this, For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water, and through water by the word of God, and by, look at six, and, and, and that by means of, the, of, of, of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. So what, what, what is this shift that Peter just takes? Well, I'll tell you what a shift is. He said, remember, they scoffed at Noah too. <laughs> you know, Noah, Noah was telling them that he was building this and that God said he was going to destroy the earth by water, and nobody believed that either. Uh, and he said, so just as people are scoffing now about the final judgment of God, it's really no different than when they, they scoffed at the first judgment of God, which was the flood. And he said, uh, that, and they're, they're conveniently forgetting this, that the flood had scoffers. And, and, and this, is the re this is a really deep point that Peter makes about creation. The third day of creation elevated the land uh, from the embrace of the sea. So, so you know, the, we, we heard that as God was creating, that all we saw was water everywhere, and, and there was darkness over the deep. Do you remember that? And the Lord hovered over it, over it. And then when he started creating land, he took land, which was underneath the water, he brought it up out of the water, and then what did he do after that? Uh, what, what, what he said then is he said, I will now create boundaries on where land uh, uh, starts and water stops. Do you remember when he talked to Job and he, and he brought his resume out? What's one of the things he said to Job? Do you tell the water where to go? Can you, we can, where were you when I told the water where its boundary was? And, of course, Job was like, I, you know, I really wish I wasn't there. I'm, you, you make a great point. Uh, but anyway, so this is one of the things that God talks about in his, in his, in his resume. The sea had, um, had a boundary, and the ark, as we know, was a sign of, of judgment. And as, as the 120 years that Noah built that ark, you know what everybody did? Jesus tells you that in Matthew 24. They just went about their business, and they didn't believe Noah, and they mocked him, and they made fun of him, and they scoffed at whatever this thing was he was building. So Jesus said, these scoffers of today that are scoffing and mocking Jesus' promise of his return and the day of judgment, they're no different than those who scoffed and mocked Noah. And you know what? 
If they didn't get on that ark, they were destroyed, just like everybody who refuses the redemption that Jesus Christ uh, is now offering. He is the ultimate ark, and those that are under his redemption, when the day of the Lord comes, they will be saved, and those who reject his redemption or reject the ark, then they will be destroyed. And by the way, he's going to tell us this week, y'all know, we going, you know how it's going to be destroyed the next time? Fire. God, God didn't say he was never going to destroy the earth again. He said he'd never do it by water again. That, that's the promise that he gave Noah and the promise of the rainbow, the reminder. We know that it's going to be completely refined and purged of sin, and we have a new heaven and a new earth that is coming, and this earth will be refined by fire. And you're going to see that uh, today as, as we walk through uh how about this? You don't ever have to ask again. I wonder how God's going to refine the earth. Peter tells you by fire. And, and we're going to talk about that. So Noah was proof, and I love this line. This came out of John Phillips' commentary on 2 Peter chapter 3. Noah is proof that people are willingly ignorant of the fact that God's judgment is coming. Noah is as ridiculed today as he was then. You ever, you ever bring up the story of Noah around scoffers and mockers? They still do it. The flood. You don't believe that flood really happened. You don't believe he built that, that ark. I mean, Noah's not literal. That didn't really happen. This happened to me uh, on, a, uh, on a vacation. My wife loves to tell this story uh, because of, of uh, how embarrassing I can be to her sometimes, even though she kind of loved it deep down, I think. Uh, we were in the Red Rocks of Sedona. And so we were riding around on one of those Jeep tours. Uh, and so the guide began to show us the watermarks in the desert and uh, began to tell us the fact, science has proven, that at one time this place was completely covered in water. Hmm, yeah, I, I bet it was. And, and so she starts showing all these different water lines. And she said, uh, so this is a, a sign of evolution. Uh, this shows us that life came from, from the oceans and came from the water because this place at one time was completely covered in water, to which I said, or we could be seeing the water line of a catastrophic flood when God destroyed the earth, as we find in the, in the, in the Bible uh, concerning Noah and the ark. Or it could be that. Uh, and, of course, that didn't go over very well uh, with, the, with the tour guide. But, see, here was a person now seeing the evidence that this entire place was underwater. We find fossils up on top of mountains that come from oceans that are that are that are aquatic creatures, and they keep saying this has something to do with evolution. It didn't have anything to do that at one time this whole place was covered in water. I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh, you have to at least say, or it could be that. So Noah is as mocked today. You know, when they built the ark uh, in Kentucky at the Creation Museum, the reason why they chose to build that ark is they said the story of Noah and the flood is the most well-known biblical documentation in all of the world. That all of the world has been discussing Noah and a catastrophic flood more than anything else in the Bible. And so what they wanted to do is say, if we can show you that what the Bible is telling you could have happened just as it says, you may see it differently. So they built it by the blueprint from the Bible. And when you have you ever been there? To, to, the, to the art museum, it's unbelievable. And this thing is gigantic. And, uh, and then they lay out all the different things biblically and how those things were done, and it is mind-boggling to see it. Uh, so, uh, and, and don't forget, I bring this up a lot, Matthew 24. I, I'd be reading Matthew 24 as much as I could these days. This is Jesus talking about end times, and he refers to as in the days of Noah, as in the days of Noah. Uh, which we know in the days of Noah that lawlessness was rampant uh, and that there was no law and order uh, and that men uh, and human beings, meaning mankind, was so evil that God regretted he ever made mankind. He said all they did all day long was think about evil. And we had the Nephilim, which I've told you about that. That's where these fallen angels had, had uh, produced offspring with, with human women, and it was just bad, 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 and God got sick of it, and he said, I'm done with it. I'm taking it down to eight. Well, if you think about it, you're living in a time where lawlessness is, a, is at an all-time high. It's actually being preferred. And as we sit here talking right now, if you go to the uh, up there to the line 
of, of right, right near Cincinnati, in, the, in the, uh, the Cincinnati, Ohio, in the Kentucky line, you'll find a gigantic ark that was built to the same uh, uh, specifications of the ark of the Bible. The ark is back. We got it sitting in Kentucky, as in the days of Noah, and also the lawlessness. So I pay attention to these things. Doesn't mean I know the time frame, but I would definitely pay attention. So the, the scoffers of today, not just then, they scoff and mock at the, at the historical documentation of Noah and the second coming of Jesus. Both of these things are equally mocked today. So when he gets into verse 7 through 13, and we'll take them one by one, now is what I was telling you about. He's going to start talking about the Lord's predicted judgment by fire. Now, now Peter's going to start unpacking. He said, look, scoffers and mockers scoffed at Noah. They, they scoff at the return of, of Jesus. And verse 7, but by the same word, but by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So look up at 6. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. He said, everybody that, that didn't believe what Noah was saying, water got them. He says, now, the ones who keep denying the second coming of Jesus, if they continue to do that, let me tell you what's going to get them, fire. And listen to this. This, this right here is, is really a, a deep point. So in verse 7, we are to consider an appointment day. Now listen, this is really deep, and this is really good. The sea was kept in its boundary before the flood, and now the fire is being kept in its boundary for the end. There will be no more flood. This time it will be fire. And listen to what Peter's telling you. Just like you could have looked around in the days of Noah and realized because of creation in the third day, God's got plenty of water. And all he's got to do is have that water to, to go beyond the boundaries that he set up, and it'll flood. You see volcanoes. You see the splitting of the atom. You see nuclear weapons. You see all these things. He says, just like God is showing you this water, hey, I've got this water under control, but I can release it. He's showing us right now, i got fire everywhere. And I've got it in its own boundaries, and I've got it kept under control but that's not how it's always going to be. Just like he had water at his disposal, he's got fire at his disposal. And right now, he's keeping it in check. Show you a little bit of it here. Show you a little bit of it there. Look at this over here. You know what that can do, don't you? And what God is saying is, look what I have. And you need to pay attention to it. But now, it will be totally reserved for him. Like, say, a, a pastor that I have great respect for said, don't live your life worried that some military force somewhere is going to take a, a nuclear weapon and annihilate the whole world. They might annihilate a country. They might annihilate a place. But as far as the annihilation and the explosion and the refining by fire of the entire earth, God saved that for himself. Nobody else is going to get to do that. So, But it is going to happen. So Peter's making this clear. Uh, so, so he now holds the fire in check. And, and, and man will not destroy this earth, but God will refine it by fire. And when he says refine it, he's going to cleanse it of all sin. I mean, this is going to be the final deal. You know, he, he, did, the, he did the do-over with the flood. I got eight. I got them off the ark. They're not perfect people. They're the best I could find. And I'm going to start again with them. But, but the, the original sin is still here, and we're still going to have problems. But this next time... Once I've gone to the cross and I've, I've now fulfilled uh, uh, you know, redemption fully, I can make you fully righteous. I can bring you into my presence and I make you fully, you are now fully acceptable under the redemption that I provided with my own son that brings you into my presence, a holy God, fully righteous. Now that I've done that, I'm going to rid this place of all sin. And then we're going to get to why hasn't he done it yet. We're going to get to that. Hang on. Stay with me. So, uh, so verse 8 and 9. So here's what he says, first of all, in 7. By the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment, meaning there is a day, and destruction of who? The ungodly. So is it the destruction of the godly? No. Is it the destruction of the ungodly who refuse to get on the ark? 
refuse redemption in Christ? Absolutely. And that's important. Rick, are you trying to scare me? Yes. Yes, I am. If that'll, if that'll do it. Uh, how, would you like to, how would you like to not have to worry about, uh, you know, that, that when this happens, that you're going to be wiped out? Oh, uh, Rick, now you're trying to, are you, you're trying to scare us. Uh, yeah, I guess I am. I mean, it, it's right out of the Bible. I don't, I, I, that was where it got my attention to begin with. Now, I had to work on what it looked like to be sanctified and follow Jesus, but, you know, eternal damnation got my attention, uh, as, as I, would, I would think it would anyone. So look at verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact. Beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now, this is, uh, this is important because this kind of, we can help the scoffers. Do you not think they thought that when Noah was building that ark, they're like 120 years? My goodness. Well, this is never going to happen. I mean, it, 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 what? what you, we keep hearing that he's building this. He's building it for some flood that God's going to wipe us out. He ain't going to wipe us out. You think they didn't think that at year 10, year 11, year 20, year 30, year 40, year 50? This is never going to happen. Year 60, no way. Year 70, surely not. Year 80, you got to be kidding me. Year 90, how many more times we got to tell you, Noah, this is a waste of time. Year 100, it's been 100 years, Noah. Oh, but then year 120 came. And here comes the rain. And here comes the flood. And Peter is saying, you're trying to get God to answer to your timeline. You think, you think 120 years is a big deal to God? No. Do you think 1,000 years is a big deal to God? No. He doesn't. Remember, God does not answer to our time frame. He does, he's not looking at his watch to say right now saying, i got to be somewhere at 5. That's your world. That's my world as we keep time. God's made, God's uh, mode of living transcends ours. It's coming, but God's timing is his own. His time frame is as much different as, you know, he says, my ways are not your ways. You know, we all can say, my time's not your time. And Peter's saying this, look, it could be that, a, a, does this mean this, is, this literally means that God counts days by a thousand years? No, it doesn't mean that. He's just saying, he's trying to make a, use an example of you've got to understand this feels like a long time to you, but it's not a long time to God. And then we'll get into some, another reason of that. But anyway, he says he's on his own time frame. It is not like ours. This is not a long time for God. We experience life, and I like this, we experience life at a, a moment at a time in a fleeting present. Now think about that. We experience time a moment at a time in a fleeting present. Like, can you not believe? I noticed this, just like in my life. You know, now just picture this a gillion fold, a fold if you're God. I have noticed that time goes by much faster for me at 56 than it did at 26. Much faster. Why? Well, it's all relative now. You know, it, it was one thing when 26 years of my life, not, a, not many things had happened. It's kind of like your memory. You have a hard time remembering things? Well, yeah, I didn't have a hard time remembering things when I'd only lived for 12 years. I didn't have a lot to remember. But now that warehouse has got 56 years worth of stuff in it. So what if it's got 70 years worth of stuff in it? Yeah, I, no doubt my brain is not as healthy as it once was, but also I've got a pretty big database now that I didn't have when I was 26. You know, hey, do you, do you remember when that happened? Yeah, I do. Why? Because it wasn't that long ago. Well, Time seems, it, it doesn't feel like time is constant even to me now because what used to feel like a, a month to me, used, now feels, a week feels like, a, I mean, a month feels like a week to me. A week feels like a day. And so think of that in God's time. He doesn't have a fleeting present. God, by contrast, gathers all of time, past, present, and future, and an eternal present. We have a fleeting present. Present time for him is eternal. So he's got present, future, and past all happening pretty much at the same time. You know, we got the Macy's Day Parade, if you're watching this or listening to it, and Thanksgiving hasn't come yet. Uh, while, we're, while we're actually doing this live and it's being recorded, tomorrow is Thanksgiving. 
Well, if you let's say you were standing on the corner because you can't this year because of the pandemic, and the Macy's Day Parade was going by you. Well, you could only see what as far as your 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 visual uh, ability was. I might be able to see three floats at a time, maybe. So I'm watching the parade as the floats go by one by one. But God is up on the Empire State Building. He sees the parade from the beginning and the end all the time. God sees the creation of the earth, the fall of mankind, and the return of his son all at the same time. But we don't. So that, that's, that's the difference. So when you start getting into this, what's he waiting on? He is the I am. He can experience a thousand years in a single day. There are much bigger clocks in the universe than the one you may have on your phone. Let me promise you that, or around your wrist. That is not the kind of clock that God is dealing with. So let's look at verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. Now listen to this. This is very important, and it will give you something to be thankful for again this Thanksgiving. Listen to this. But is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, if that doesn't give you something to be thankful for, here's another reason why Jesus has not returned for the final refinement of this earth and destruction of this earth and given us a new heaven and a new earth. You know why? God's patient. Anybody thankful God's patient? Not slow to fulfill his promises. He's just being patient with you because he truly desires that every single child of his would repent and be redeemed. I've I, I pictured this before in my mind. We're in the church age right now, which is the time of grace, and we'll get into some of these days here in a minute. So right now we're in a time that, the, that, that everything has been fulfilled. Jesus Christ has fulfilled all redemption. He's, he's, he's the ultimate Lamb of God. All sacrifice has been done. And now we're in the church age, the time of grace, when any who repent sincerely and confess Jesus as Lord will be redeemed. Now picture that, the church age, picture a faucet, a faucet of grace, and it's open, and grace is flowing out of that faucet. There's going to come a time on God's time frame, he's going to reach over to that faucet, and he's going to close it, and the time of grace will end the day of the Lord and his wrath will come down on the ungodly, and he will destroy this earth by fire. He will refine it, and then he will establish the new heaven and the new earth, and his kingdom, which is not of this world, will now all be in one place, and everything will be as it's supposed to be. Now, that, that's wonderful for those that have been redeemed, but God also looks at those that are not redeemed. And it, it even says in the book of Revelation that those that have been martyred for the faith are coming before his throne saying, how much longer? How much longer till you redeem us? How much longer do you finally have your day? And God just says, just a little bit longer. Maybe one more. Maybe today one more will be redeemed. Maybe you will be redeemed today. Maybe this will be the day that you stop and say, I'm not going to take for granted that the faucet of grace is just going to be open for the rest of my life. It'll definitely be open for the rest of your life, meaning, but we don't know how long that life will be. One or two things is going to happen to your life. You will die, and you're in a pandemic, and we hear about people dying quite often right now. So you, your body will die. That's, that may happen, and if that happens then the faucet of grace has just been turned off for you. You had your shot, you died, and if you're unredeemed, you'll go to hell. And, and you'll wait for this final judgment, but you'll go to the holding place of hell now, and then you'll go into the final hell when judgment comes. So that's one way that the faucet could be cut off for you. The other is that you, in your lifetime, Jesus returns. And he gathers his church to him, and he does the thousand-year millennial reign the way things were supposed to be, and, 
And then we'll get to this. There'll be one final. It's not really a battle. Jesus just says it's over and, and slays everybody who opposes him. And, uh, and those that are redeemed are with him, and those who oppose him are destroyed. One of those two things will happen. And if you are redeemed, praise the Lord. You'll go into the presence of the Lord, and, and, and you will be saved, and, and you will live forever uh, in the new heaven and the new earth. But if you're not redeemed, then that grace that is openly available to you right now will be cut off and denied. It does have an end date. Just because God is slow to anger does not mean he never angers. And it is his desire that his wrath not come down on you. But if you are not redeemed, it has to. He can't cease being God. He can't just say, I'm no longer holy. That, that's his character. And so his justice is pure and a must, which is why he provided redemption. And... Um, and, and I think about that. I think about that. I remember my wife, and I, I told you all this, when our youngest son went to heaven, and uh, she references this, references this in her book. And uh, she said that she had a moment that she cried out to God, why the children? Lord, why do babies die like this? Why, why would this happen? And uh, she said that God said, um, well, you're going to get your son back. I mean... It's clear your son at two and a half years of age uh, will be returned to you in eternity. But what about all of my children? God now speaking. If they die without redemption, I'm separated from them every day as they die without redemption. What about my children that I'll never see again? And my wife said that for the first time in her entire life, she had compassion for God. You ever thought about it that way at all? So many times, all we ever think about is our position. God, do this for me. Please do that for me. Don't do that. Exempt me from that. Don't allow that. Forgive me again. But have we ever thought about, for a moment, about this statement from Peter when Peter says that he is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. When's the last time you had compassion for God? Even if you've been redeemed, do you care that this is going to happen? Do you care that God has told us to tell others what he now provides so that they'll come under his grace, that they will repent and that they will be saved and they will not perish. That's another reason why Jesus hasn't come back yet. God's just patient and it's his desire that the fewest amount of people possible will perish. And it says here his wish is that none would. Verse 10, and then here comes the but, meaning but, even though God is patient, even though he, he wishes that none should perish, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies, or some of your translations might say are the heavenly elements, will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. We are to consider that there is an appalling day coming. It will be a nuclear holocaust type of event, totally overwhelming, and it is coming. And he calls it the day of the Lord, and I'll unpack that a little more for you. The Bible talks about the day of the Lord several times. Uh, and it talks about these different days. What we're in right now is what the Bible, I told you, the church age, but it's also called man's day. You see this. And there's going to be a lot of verses I have for you for time. I'm just going to have to give you the verses. I won't be able to read them all. But if you want to see what we're talking about, about this thing called uh, these different days, man's day, or, the, or the, at the time that we're in right now, meaning man is judging and God is silent. 
You find that in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 3. So write that down, 1 Corinthians 4, 3. Man right now has been given the ability by God to judge. You even see this in Romans 13 about him establishing these earthly governments. Uh, it's also called the day of salvation, which I just told you about, the church age, the time of grace. Salvation is available. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 2, uh, because God's grace right now in this moment is available to all. So we're in man's day, the day of salvation, the church age. Next will be the day of Christ. Write that down. The next will be the day of Christ. That's uh, talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. So in 1 Corinthians, it's 1, 8 and 3, 13. 2 Corinthians, he talks about this again, Paul does, in chapter 1, verse 14, chapter 1, 14 of 2 Corinthians. Philippians, Paul talks about this in chapter 1, verse 6. Also in Philippians chapter 2, verse 16. And this refers to the day of the rapture. This is the day of Christ is when the church will be drawn, taken to Christ. You see this really laid out, Paul uh, writing to Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Say that again. 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, and uh, that's going to be verses 13 through 18. This will coincide uh, with the day of Jacob's trouble. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you are a person who is not Jewish, and you have been, or you're a Jewish person who's been redeemed, then you will be raptured on the day of Christ. When the days of salvation, uh, man's day, the church age, when it ends and the church is drawn to Jesus, the time, then, then, then that will come the days of, J of Jacob's trouble. You see that in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7. And I won't get too deep with this, I promise. I'm going to explain this. Ezekiel uh, chapter 7, verses 8 through 22. Uh, I just mentioned Matthew 24. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 24, 15 through 31, because God will enter into judgment on the nation of Israel. That's why it's also called the day of Jacob's trouble. These are the unredeemed Jewish people that now have to go through the tribulation. And many of them will come to know Christ at the end of the tribulation, but when he raptures the church, so everybody who's been redeemed by Jesus and has recognized him as Messiah they will be drawn out of the world. Uh, the people left behind unredeemed, including Jewish people, will now go through the time of Jacob's trouble, which will be the, the tribulation. Uh, so uh, this, this, is, this, is, uh, this day's end, meaning when it ends, it'll end together. Jacob's trouble and the day of Christ will end simultaneously, same time when the Lord returns with the church that he raptured to set up his kingdom on earth. I simplify that as much as I can. Everybody with me? Those are the different days that we talk about in Scripture. But what Peter's talking about, about when the earth is refined and destroyed and the new heaven and the new earth comes, John, comes, John sees it in Revelation, uh, Revelation 20 and 21. What this is going to be is what he's talking about, the day of the Lord. So there's, there's, the, there's man's day, the days of salvation. That's the church age of grace. Then there's the day of Christ. That's the rapture of the church and the time of Jacob's trouble. Then Jesus comes back with the church. You know, we're getting ready for it. We're getting ready for it all to end. And now we're getting close to the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is now when everything's going to change. Evil's going to be removed completely. The earth is going to be refined by fire. Satan is going to be uh, put away uh, for all eternity. And, uh, and then we are going to, uh, to talk about the day of the Lord. It occurs in Isaiah uh, chapter 2, verse 12. Write that down, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12. And this term, the day of the Lord, occurs a total of 20 times in the Old Testament. And I'm not going to give you all the places, but it's in the book of Ezekiel, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Zephaniah, and Malachi. They all talk about the day of the Lord uh, all combined 22 times. Isaiah 2.12 is one specific verse that I'll tell you. In the New Testament, the day of the Lord is mentioned four times. Uh, that's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. And then, of course, here in 2 Peter 3.10.
You'll also find it in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. This is when everything will be done to abase man and exalt the Lord. Everybody, see, right now we think we're all high and mighty, okay? And, and, and we've been given a time where he allows us to judge and make decisions and do these things, and then that's the time of grace and salvation. Then he comes the day of Christ when he takes the church out and also the time of Jacob's trouble. Then there will be the return of Christ uh, and, and with his church to set up his kingdom on earth. And when that happens, that's when this place, it literally will be torn apart. By, I mean, the elements of every kind will just be shredded uh, all throughout this earth, and the earth will be done away with. And you know what will happen? We will see man put in his proper place and the Lord put in his proper place. And this will coincide with the millennial reign of Christ on earth. Remember that the millennial reign of Christ on earth begins with a battle, which is not much of a battle. Uh, Jesus just walks out with his church and says, and the Bible doesn't specify exactly what he does, but he, it, it's, it's, almost, it's really not even a battle. He just speaks. I don't know if he says, you're done, I'm done with you, but he lays waste all who oppose him. And then it will also it'll end uh, with a battle as well, meaning at the end of the thousand-year millennial reign, we will actually get to live on earth the way it was intended. But at the end of the millennial reign, Satan is released again for one last refinement, and then, of course, is destroyed with all who oppose Christ, and they are done away with forever. And we see this in Revelation 16, uh, verses 12 through 21. Revelation 16, verses 12 through 21. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 21. That's 19, 11 through 21. And Revelation 20, verses 7 through 10. This gives way to a new heaven and a new earth. The Lord Jesus will deliver up the kingdom of God that God may be all in all. This is what is coming, and this is what Peter is warning about for those that are not redeemed. If you want to see a reference to that, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 26 through 28, talking about the time that is coming when God will be all in all. He will be in his proper place, and he will have refined and destroyed. He will refine those that are with him, and he will have destroyed all who oppose him, and sin will be no more. Sickness will be no more. Death will be no more. Mourning will be no more. This closing event, and you, you need to know this, this closing event in the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night suddenly, but also it will be catastrophic. Catastrophic. And God shows you through the things we've done with the splitting of the atom, through all the volcanic activity underneath the earth, God is showing you, I've got what I need to do it, and it will happen. Peter describes the totality of it. Everything will be loosed, atoms splitting, the elements dissolving, nuclear fission. It will be a fervent heat. Look at verse 11. Since all things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people... You ought to be in lives of holiness and godliness. Look what he says in verse 10 before verse 11. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then heavens will pass away with a roar. You ever heard a nuclear explosion when they did the testing? A roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And then look what he says next. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? You know what Peter's saying? Man, it's, I mean, it hit me like a ton of bricks getting this ready. So if everything I described to you is really going to happen, why aren't you living differently? You know what he's saying? Shouldn't this motivate you to live a life of holiness and godliness? Do you realize God gave us 
this word of God so that we would know he's warning us. This is coming. When will it come? I don't know. Are we closer to it today than we were yesterday? Yes. Does this motivate us at all to live out a life of holiness and godliness in all of God? Not wanting to be against him. And how about this? Not tolerating those who are against him. Not just letting that go on. Let them know what God has done. Verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. It's almost like Peter says, I'm going to make the statement about if this motivates you to be holy or godly, and maybe you forgot what I just said, so I'm going to say it again. He's emphasizing this vision should have a sobering effect. Holiness and godliness. Why do we forget the warning? Let us heed the warning. And then Peter comes back in 12 and says, let me drive this point home again. The heavens are going to collapse Hydrogen will ignite. We should watch for this day. It's coming. Waiting and hastening the coming of the day of God. And let me tell you what Satan is a is a he is, hey let me tell you something. Satan he he's hey his doom is coming. It's written in the word. He's going to be done. All of those with him will be done. They will be removed. They will be eternally locked away. And they will fall and they will, they, will, they will be destroyed forever. And he knows it. But all he's doing now is just waging war out of anger and disgust. And the third of the angels that went with him who were denied redemption, something that he didn't deny human beings. They're raging against what he loves. But you know what? The day's coming when that's going to be resolved. And that's a lot to be thankful for. But at the same time, what you've got to be careful of, and I've been there. I was, I was in this deception until God rattled me out of it. Satan even knows that he can't really make a case that God isn't who he says he is. He can't really make a case against all the evidence against the redemption provided in Jesus. So you know what he resorts to? Hey, he'll even let you be concerned about this. But just not today. I mean, it's not going to happen today. I don't know whether Satan's right about that or not. And he doesn't know either. He knows it's coming, but he doesn't know the day and the time. And you know what? I don't know that that the church is going to be raptured if you if you believe that's what Scripture says, and I, and I happen to, to believe that. I don't know that, that Christ is going to come today. I don't know the day of Christ is next. I know we're in the day of salvation. But I sure do know how many times that I thought I was going to see somebody again only to find out that they died. And that is your day of the Lord, if that were to happen today. And you know what Satan wants you to say? Nah, what are the odds of that? You need to deal with this, and you need to get right, and yeah, that may be happening. Yes, it's true that you're going to die an earthly death. Yes, it's true that, that Satan and you know, all of us here, we're going to be destroyed at some point. Yes, the, Jesus is coming back, but just not today. Don't worry about it today. That's what the deceiver, the adversary, the demons, your flesh wants you to believe. Just don't worry about it today. But the problem is we tend to weave those days together over and over and over. And let me be a person who's not afraid to tell you, just as Peter's, just trying, to Peter's trying to tell us, this is going to happen. You are going to die an earthly death. Our Christ is going to return. These things will happen.
And I don't know when those are going to happen. I don't know how much longer you and I have to live. You may not see me again. This could be the last Bible study I do. I don't know. But I'm ready. Now, is there still more work that I need to do? Yes. But as far as my redemption, I got no concerns about that. And I'm not afraid to die. And I'm not afraid of the return of Christ. My concern is not what's going to happen to me for eternity. Now, I do want to be sure that, you know, I need to kind of assess, am I going to get a well done? Have I accomplished everything that God called me to do? I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Peter goes on to end the part that we'll close with today in verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Peter said, that's what we're waiting on. Which one are you waiting on? Are you waiting with dread at the fire and the refinement of this earth and the consumption of all who oppose God when he eradicates all sin for the new heaven and the new earth? Are you dreading his wrath? Are you excited about his return? Are Are you looking forward to living in a place where pandemics don't happen? where babies don't die, where wars are over, where sickness is not allowed, where cancer is over, where bad things happen. There should be an anticipation for those that are redeemed for that day. I've never, I'm I'm not really perplexed by people who aren't sure what's going to happen to them. I'm not really perplexed by their terror of death. But I'm going to admit to you, brothers and sisters out there that may claim to be redeemed, you may very well be redeemed, I, I don't know. But I do find it odd that so many redeemed people seem terrified of death. I hope that you can understand that there is no need for that. You don't have to be reckless, and you you don't want to have to be stupid, and you don't want to be reckless with your life. But if you've been redeemed by Jesus, you you don't have to fear it. We'll close with 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 about this anticipation. The Apostle Paul says something beautiful in verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, God's wrath is coming. But for those who are redeemed, Paul reminds us, we're not destined for God's wrath. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you been redeemed? Can you live at peace that God's wrath is something to believe in and respect, but it's not something to fear because it's not coming on you? It's his desire that you take the gift that he gives of redemption, just like that blood of the lamb on the Passover. Take the blood of a perfect lamb and with a hyssop branch, Put that blood over your doorpost and death will pass you by. You take the blood of Jesus Christ and you repent of your sin and you take his blood and you cover yourself in it and let him wash away your sin and the wrath of God that is coming will pass you by. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this message. Uh, It is is a concerning message, but it's also just full of hope. And I pray, Lord, today that if anybody watching this or listening to this is not sure what would happen to them if you returned today or they died their earthly death, that they would simply just say what you said in your scriptures, 
Uh, your holy word says to believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that you are Lord. You, the day of the Lord is coming and you will rule, but you will rule in our life today. And to take our sin and say we repent of it, we reject our sinful nature, and we turn to you and we ask that you forgive us of our sins. And we believe that you can do it because you paid the price on the cross and we claim that gift of grace and we receive it. And we believe that you rose from the dead on the third day and you defeated our eternal death. And Lord, we ask that you draw us to you and that you forgive us and you redeem us and reconcile us back to you, a holy God. If you're sincere about that and you mean that, and the Bible says that God will hear your prayers and he'll forgive you. If today's the first time you've done that or first time you've ever meant that, and I can help you in any way, just reach out to me, rick at rickandbubba.com. In your holy name we pray, Lord, amen. Thank you. I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving, uh, and I hope that you leave this Bible study today with much to be thankful for.